welcome to the Naval Air Podcast. My name is Mike, and yes, I'm still your host. <laughs> I'd like to thank all of you who have returned to tune in after my little pod fade here. Uh, I'd like to apologize for being gone or away from the microphone for the amount of time I was. Uh, last show, I believe, was the end of March. Got sent away on a business trip. Took my headset microphone with me, laptop, fully expected to record stuff when I was there. Just kind of got busy. And then the kids are out of school and some folks came to visit. Then just a bunch of stuff piled up. And I apologize as deeply as I can for taking so long to come back and um, get the show back on the road, so to speak. Uh, let's see, where are we going to start? Okay, quick recap. We have gotten up to the point where I'm going to go on deployment. I've talked about the training pipeline, I've talked about life in the squadron, and I've even talked about pre-deployment uh, preparations, short cruises, things of that nature. And now it's time to hit the big one. We're going to depart for six months and visit some places and do naval things and basically be out there on the pointy tip of the spear for as representatives of the United States of America. So let's see, is there anything? No, I think we'll save a lot of the housekeeping for the end. I think we're just going to jump right in and talk for a bit. I don't know if this show is going to go an hour. I might run out of gas before that. I'm not sure I have enough beverage to keep my whistle wet. But uh, we'll see how it goes. All right, so I don't remember if on the preparation for deployment episode, the, the last one you heard, I talked about our detachment. Um, I know I talked about what makes up a detachment, but in September of 1984 uh, my detachment was formed up <clears throat> it was detachment 8 or dead 8 dead 8 and we were deploying on the USS Callahan a guided missile destroyer that no longer exists on the rolls of the United States Navy or Department of Defense uh, the ship was sold to Taiwan as far as I know um, so 8 to sell 33 dead 8 uh, deploying aboard the USS Callahan and our scheduled departure for deployment was the 21st of February of 1985. And the Callahan, being a modified Spruance class destroyer, uh, instead of being berthed or docked over at the 32nd Street Naval Station, uh, she tied up at Naval Air Station North Island. She had a, she had a deeper draft than most destroyers, so she had to go to where they had uh, deep water piers to handle her. So uh, I was not on the fly-on crew. Uh, typically, the ship will pull away from the pier, steam out of the harbor, past Naval Air Station North Island, and um, a couple miles off the coast, the helicopter will show up flying uh, flying in from the squadron 
captain flying in from the air station. So I was not on the fly-on crew. So I was on board the ship when we pulled away. Uh, the ship had us man the rails. We were in dress blues. We were standing there. For lots of folks, it was, you know, they're waving goodbye to family and loved ones. Uh, me personally, I'm a single young sailor. Had There's no one on the pier waving goodbye to me. My folks were not local to San Diego. I had no family local to San Diego. So there's a few of us that were in that same situation. We're just kind of hanging out together. There's no, no big deal. Lots of folks do it all the time, right? So, but it was morning. I, I want to say we reported to the ship at like 8. Heck, uh, I can't even remember how I got to work that day. Um, I had left my car. I'd driven up to my uh, an aunt and uncle's house to leave my car the week before. I must have been just relying on roommates and friends to drive me around. Because, um, you know, I was living not on base. I was living out in town. My stuff is packed up. I might have been staying with somebody. They wanted to drop me off at the pier. I, I don't remember. Um, some of our, most of our stuff had already been packed aboard. You know, I talked about in the preparation show about all the stuff we did for the aircraft, uh, you know, maintaining the aircraft and all the stuff we had put on the ship to be ready for that. But personal effects, I don't remember how we moved our, when or when, when or when, <laughs> When or where we, well, I know where we put our personal effects. I just don't remember moving it on that day. We must have done it the days leading up to it. Um, let's see. Okay, so 21 February, early in the morning. Um, i trying to remember what day of the week that was. I know some folks probably don't care, but I don't know. I'm just, I'm, my curiosity is peaked. So I have to look and see what day of the week, 21 February, 1985, was it Thursday, <laughs> Thursday morning. Um, that's when we left. Thursday morning, eight or nine, something around those. I have some photos somewhere. Um, anyway, so off we go. Chip pulls away, wave goodbye to everybody on the pier couple miles out the helicopter lands and we're off and running we're off and running on a western pacific deployment or called westpac we're with the uss constellation was the uh, battle group flagship uh, the callahan was the destroyer squadron flagship so we had a one-star admiral well back then they were still calling them commodores um, right now they're called rear admiral lower half but a guy with one, one star, the Destroyer Squadron, um, was made up, I don't know how many people are, or how many ships are in the Destroyer Squadron. I didn't learn that much about their organization. But the battle group was Constellation, the USS California, a guided missile cruiser, nuclear-powered cruiser, um, the USS Callahan, USS Fletcher, which also had helicopter detachment on board um, from our the squadron HSL-35, the magicians. Um, USS Cromelin had the very first Lamps Mark III operational deployment aboard from HSL-43. I think it was Cromelin. Anyway, two 
two F Perry class frigates, a Knox class frigate, the Hashburn. Hepburn, I'm sorry, Hashburn was its nickname. <laughs> oh goodness, I have to find the picture. I have somewhere I have a picture of the whole battle group steaming together. Uh, but the battle group, the small ships, had three helicopters. We had one from uh, us, HSL-33, Det-8. HSL-35, I don't know what debt number there was. And then HSL-43, the new Lamps Mark III, the, the SH-60B Seahawk aircraft, first operational deployment. The Constellation, the, battle, the, battle, uh, the battleship, the USS Constellation uh, aircraft carrier, CV-64, uh, had the first operational deployment of the F-18 embarked on this deployment. F-18, I want to say A, probably. Early models F-18s. Uh, who knows what they're up now. Probably half those aircraft are razor blades now. Anyway, um, let's see. Um, we probably, I'm sure we took, there was a fleet oiler that went with us. I don't know what the replenishment ship's name was. Had one or two aircraft from HC-3 or HC-11 to do the vertical replenishments. There might even have been a submarine part of our battle group, you know, but you never know. But yeah, we all left all all the ships of the battle group. I think, I think, for the next half of this show, we'll, meaning the next episode, I'll have the picture. I'll dig out the picture. I'll dig out the cruise book, uh, and we'll go over some of those things. But the whole battle group left on 21 February 1985, with a scheduled stop in Pearl Harbor. I want to say early March. Um, yeah, because maybe a week to get there. February 28th, March 1st, 2nd, somewhere in there. We weren't there very long. Five days, maybe. Three days, five days. It wasn't very long at all. Um, but Pearl Harbor is a working port, so which means you, know, you go out at night, but you have to be on the ship during the daytime. It wasn't, you know, I had to do work. Um, we hit the bars a lot at night. Oh, my gosh. All right, I have to tell this story. Um, here's the first first deployment story. We're in Pearl Harbor. As a helicopter detachment, we tend to do our, I'm going to use the word partying, okay? We're, we tend to do our hanging out. We didn't hang out. We went out and drank, okay? But we intended to do that as a group. The pilots, the crewmen, us, the enlisted crewmen, even the maintainers, we tended to hang out as a group. We were, you know, these are people you have known for a while, either in the squadron, even more so when you get deaded up. But with one exception, nobody really made friends or good, uh, we never made friends on the ship with the ship's company, people assigned to the ship. But we, we kind of stuck to ourselves, okay? Some folk, you know, one guy I knew made really good pals with ship's company folks, and he always went out with them. But as a debt, we stuck together. And on our short cruise the previous fall, we learned how to kind of do Hawaii, all right? And, I mean, we rented the scooters, went to Hanauma Bay one day. We went, we... Um, that was a trip in fall. This this trip we rented a we rented a little POS car and drove around the island, check out the crystal clear blue waters and go up to Diamond Head and other vol. We didn't go to active volcanoes, but we drove around 
Oahu's island. We didn't go off Oahu, Oahu at all. But at night, afternoon, evening, shortly after food, chow, dinner, say six-ish, we would meet at the Barefoot Bar at the Halicoa Hotel. The Halicoa Hotel was owned by the government. It was on an open fort, Fort Derussi, there in the middle of Waikiki. And it was a hotel for military people. And you paid, your room rate was based on your rank, which ostensibly meant was tied to your ability to pay. So if you're low rank, your room rate was low. If you're high rank, your room rate was high. But they had this really great barefoot bar, which was a place that there was no dress code, you know, barefoot bar. You didn't have to be, I mean, you could be naked, obviously, but, you know, whatever minimums of public decency there was, you could be at this bar. And we would meet there six o'clock. Usually start out three or four, and then by the time things got rolling, there was eight or nine of us there. Well, this one particular evening, uh, our the two two of the pilots rented one of their missions or goals that the the the, uh, the officer in charge we call them the ONC, the debt ONC put these guys in charge of, of securing a rental car that we would need to get around the island for our. It had to have been a five-day trip, now that I'm thinking about it, to get around while we were there. And apparently, you know, everybody else in the battle group, when they show up to Pearl, has the same idea. Well, they got there, and all they, all they had left was this Lincoln Town Car, this big, huge Lincoln Town Car. You know, we're talking about a, a sedan, four-door sedan that seats six comfortably, three in the front, three in the back, comfortably. Um, so... They show up at the at the Halico, they show up at the Barefoot Bar. Hey, you should see this car we got. It's you know, Lincoln Town Car. And, you know if you're the first crew, the first couple of guys showing up for this meetup, which I typically was, by the time these guys showed up, you've already had three or four rounds of drinks. So you're feeling fairly fairly good, right? And they show up, okay, you know, we don't want to hang out here, everyone gets one drink and then ah, we're gonna hit the bar. So we're gonna hit the we're gonna hit the clubs, pubs, whatever, come check out the car we got. So we go out, and there is this big old Lincoln Town car. Pop the trunk, there's a cooler in the back with beer in it already, on ice. Oh, got to have one of these for the road, right? Now, let me stop right here and give the standard disclaimer of don't do this at home, all right? This is 1985. Driving under the influence, while a serious problem and a serious crime was probably not as cracked down upon at that point in our nation's history as it is now. And I'm going to talk about driving under the influence or people who are driving under the influence. We all lived. We didn't hurt anybody. But that's not to say that we weren't extremely lucky by not having that happen to us, okay? So, yes, I'm telling a story about people driving under the influence and some of the stupid things we've done. And, again, we're lucky that we didn't hurt anybody or ourselves, okay? So there's the other word disclaimer. All right, so we had our beer in the parking lot. Now comes time to pile in the Lincoln Town Car. And I say pile in because there's nine of us. Yes, there's nine of us hanging out together to go drinking. And the nine people are three of our four pilots, all three of the air crewmen, uh, 
one of the Arkwoman's brothers happened to be assigned to that ship. A mechanic, a jet engine mechanic. That's eight, and I'm missing the ninth. Who was the ninth person? Oh, well. Anyway, we go out drinking. We hit a place called the Rosen Crown Pub in Waikiki Beach. Oh, no, that was where we ended up. That was the last place we were at. The first place we went to was a place called... Was it a place called Moose McGillicuddy's? Moose McGillicuddy's? Um, only there for these hurricane drinks or something they had. These big fruit punch things that supposedly were something that would knock you down. So we had to get one of those. Yeah, now that I sit here and think about it, the microphone is cracked open. I'm talking, and I can't think of all the places we went to that night. Anyway, we ended up at the Rosen Crown Pub. Rosen Crown Pub, that's what it sounds like. It sounds, it's a, you know, it's like an English pub, okay? Except on the evening that we were there, there's a guy playing a piano. And everyone's kind of standing around the piano because it's an upright and it's kind of against the wall. And everyone's, you know, three sheets of the wind, drunk, and we're singing songs along with the piano player. And it was a, really a good time. Um, met some fun people there. Uh, I want <laughs> I remember very clearly our ONC being a little bit more drunk than I was, and he decided it was his turn to buy, and he thought that I was the most trustworthy of his guys. Here, hands me his wallet, says pay for the round when the guy shows up. And I didn't, you know, I'll tell you now, I didn't violate his trust. I just thought it was funny that he picked me because, you know, I'm the single guy with the least, I guess, the least trust. You know, give it to the married guy or something, the guy with kids. Somebody who's got proven responsibility. I mean, I'm, holy cow, it's 1985, it's February, I'm 20, I'm not even 21. <laughs> ah, all right. So it was, we closed the place down. It's 2 a.m., we drive back through Waikiki, back to Pearl Harbor. Now, our ship is sitting on a pier, right? Like ships do. And there's nine of us in this friggin' car. We pull up the pier. It's 2.30, probably 3 in the morning now. And um, we're all standing around this car, looking up at the ship, the boat. And... It was decided amongst the group that it would be unseemly for all of us drunken people to go stumbling up the brow. The brow is the Navy's term for the little ramp that goes from the pier to the ship. It's called the brow. Stumbling up the brow, getting to the quarterdeck, which is where the brow deposits you on the ship, and going through the permission to come aboard process, which is you salute the flag, salute the guy standing there in uniform, and say, request permission to come aboard, right? Showing him your ID at the same time, which has the little ship sticker on it, so they know you actually belong there. And, you know, permission granted, come on in, right? Well, we thought, and we came with this brilliant plan that we wouldn't, all nine of us, hammer on this guy at once. You know, and we're going to spread it out every couple minutes because we didn't want to look like a drunken rabble. And we didn't want to look like, I don't know, we didn't want to either embarrass ourselves or make. Too much work for them. I, you know, come on. <laughs> this is 23 years ago. I don't remember the the exact reasoning, but we hatched this plan that we're going to spread ourselves out. 
Now, the funny thing is, is the parking lot's not that full, okay? This is a chip in transit. So it's in a transit transient area. That not a lot of cars in the parking lot. The guy standing in the quarter deck can see us down there, standing around the car, probably wondering how all nine of us fit in there. Um, <laughs> and you could see us, I, I guess, I don't know, hatch up. Anyway, the plan was hatched, and I was elected to go first. Uh, you go first. Mike, you go. We'll follow you one minute in intervals or whatever. Okay. So I go, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm thinking, okay, don't look drunk. You know, don't trip on the couple steps leading up to the brow. Don't trip climbing up the brow. That's what I'm telling myself, right? Make sure you salute the flag first. Make sure you have your ID in your hand. Don't drop it in the water. All this stuff going through my head along the fact, wow, I'm, I'm really bust. Um, get to the top. Turn, <laughs> turn to my left to face the back of the ship to salute the flag. And I look out of the corner of my eye. Another eight dudes are standing right behind me. <laughs> you know, they did. They I guess they changed their mind, or they forgot the our nefarious cunning plan <laughs> to spread ourselves out. And they're all piled up here. Request permission to come on board. Come on, right? So it seemed like a good idea at the time. Seemed like a good idea when you're drunk, but still didn't work out. Now, here's the kicker, is that the next morning was photos, cruise book photos. We have a, you know, They give us a cruise book. Think of it like a high school yearbook or annual, okay? Uh, every department will gather and have a department shot, uh, uh, you know, a group shot of your department for the cruise book. And since we're in Pearl Harbor, Pearl Harbor, the dress, the dress uniform year-round is white's. And our cruise book photo shoot was probably at 8 o'clock that morning, 7.30. So we had to be in whites, on the deck of the ship. We are in front of our, we had our aircraft. We had someone had pushed, we must have done it. I don't remember when, but the aircraft was out on the flight deck already. So we on the flight deck, front of our helicopter, such and such a time, 8, early in the morning. Dress whites, get our cruise book photo. And if I, if I took that photo, I'm going to, I guess I should. I'll scan that photo and let you see it. And you can very easily tell which people in that photo were the ones out the night before on this drunken adventure. Because every single one of us is squinting <laughs> with our eyes closed because the bright sunlight is bouncing off these white uniforms. And we're indeed severely hungover. Or maybe still drunk, who knows? But it was a, it was kind of a harsh early morning. We didn't get a lot done that day, after our cruise book photo shoot. That was the only real. We did that. I mean, every night was like that, but that was the funniest because we had nine people in the car that night. Most other nights we had you know six or seven. Uh, and we came back so late. Anyway, so yeah, the next night we did a couple more of the same, but it was, uh, Hawaii was some sightseeing in the day and some serious drinking in the night. And of course, on one, you know, your first trip to Hawaii, you have to, well, I, I did that in the fall. I must have told you about that already. Visiting the Arizona, doing that trip. All right, moving on. All right, so our five days in Hawaii, 
we pull out Pearl Harbor and we're heading we're transiting across the Pacific Ocean and our, our next our next port visit is going to be in the Philippines Subic Bay the Philippines now currently the US presence at Subic Bay the Philippines is, is no longer exists our lease was up and the Aquino, uh, Corazon Aquino kicked us out, so we don't go there anymore. Um, but yeah, that was our next play. Anyway, so we took some time transiting to the Philippines. I want to say two weeks. Now, when you're heading west, as you do, every time we crossed all, uh, uh, a time zone, the time zone changes on the ship were scheduled and they were scheduled about a, a six o'clock at night, seven o'clock at night. That when we crossed the time zone, they would make an announcement on the ship's public address system called the one MC, which, you know, every public address speaker on the ship was activated by the one MC and Okay, now I don't know what one MC means. I want to say it's the, the first master circuit or something like that. Uh, or I don't. But one MC meant you know announce it on the one MC meant everyone's gonna hear it. In, inside speakers, outside speakers, the whole ship's gonna hear it. So at seven o'clock at night, they would say, "Okay, we just passed the time zone. Set your clocks back one hour." So they set the clocks back one hour. Now the reason they did it at that time is that around dinner. Typically, your watches, now this didn't affect us uh, as the air department. We flew, we maintained the aircraft, we didn't stand watches on the ship, so we didn't have to worry about the watch schedule. But on the ship, the, the, the watches are four hours long midnight to four, four to eight, eight to midnight, eight to noon, eight to noon, noon to four. But between four and eight, they split that watch into two hours. So everyone can eat dinner. My times might be off a bit, okay? But I know the dinner time, the evening four hour chunk of time in the ship was split into two two hour chunks to allow for everyone to get through the dinner line, okay? So the reason they pushed the clocks back one hour, everyone wouldn't have, wouldn't have their four hour watch extended into five hours because they're repeating an hour, right? Clocks falling back. We don't make we don't want to make the watch five hours. It was if the powers that be thought it was more fair to extend a two hour watch into three hours rather than a four hour watch into five hours. So that's why we set the clocks back during that time because you you know if it was at seven o'clock you've been on watch for an hour, set the clocks back an hour and you still got a two hours to go. Okay, because this guy ain't coming. <laughs> he's coming at eight o'clock to relieve you. He's not coming an hour early, right? So they would announce it. Set your clocks back. We just crossed the time zone. Transiting west, we probably did this every other day. Set your clocks back an hour, set your clocks back an hour. When we crossed the International Date Line in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, it was set your clocks back an hour, but it's now tomorrow. <laughs> or we skipped a day. It was like we went from went from 7 o'clock Monday night to 6 o'clock Wednesday night or something like that. We skipped a day. Okay, um, 
because we crossed the date line. So that's that's how that worked out, um, all the way across the Pacific until we got to the Philippines. Now, two or three days out from the Philippines was what they called the bear box. That's where, in that section of ocean, you would see Soviet, Russian, or not Russian, Soviet bear aircraft, propeller-driven, long-range patrol aircraft flying over the battle group, and we'd see them uh, usually only in this zone. I have a few pictures of that, too. But they'd come check us out, see what's going on. Uh, just one of those things that happened in the Cold War where they'd come and look and see what us Yankee sea pirates are up to. Okay. Let's see anything else that was noteworthy in the transition in the transition transition Pacific. Nothing that I could think. Alright. Well we're gonna talk about pulling in the Philippines. Now Subic Bay in the Philippines uh, was a was a naval station, a big sprawling naval base that also had an air station on it called QB Point. Uh, the the naval station or the naval base where the ships all the ships tied up and did their stuff was on one side of the harbor and the air station was kind of on the other side of the harbor. Now the aircraft carrier, again, just like in, at North Island, California, having the deep draft needed a deep water port, deep water pier, excuse me, the aircraft carrier almost always tied up at a pier at the air station because there's deeper water there. While the little ships, which I was on, went to you know, the naval station side. Now, the Philippines, or the PI, that's the nickname for the Philippines, the PI. In the PI, it was also a working port, which meant that you slept on the ship, you worked on the ship during the day, or you worked during the day, and at night you were free to your own devices to do whatever you wanted to do. Us being aviation folks, in a big old fat naval air station there, we would fly the helicopter off of the ship, land at QB Point, and there was a little spot next to one end of the runway called the Hilo Hole, where all the transient helicopter aircraft would go. And they would give us a little Quonset hut to set up as our shop, and we would do our flight operations and our maintenance out of the Hilo Hole at Naval Air Station QB Point. Now, if we pull in earlier than the aircraft carrier, you might get a chance to get a room at, at a barracks. They had rooms available on the, the Naval Air Station side, so we wouldn't have to try to find a way from the Naval Station, the ship side, to the Air Station side. We might be able to get you know, barracks rooms. Now we did our first trip there, that trip we were able to get in before the carrier showed up and took all the rooms. Got ourselves little barracks rooms so we didn't have to stay on the ship and we were close to where our work was. I also seem to remember we were able to secure a van. I don't know how we were able to secure a van. Anyway, so helicopter, we flew off, the, we flew the helicopter off with the heel hole, set up our little Quonset hut. Great little air conditioner in there. I mean, 
kept that place cold. Um, which really wasn't such a big deal because we were there in March. Uh, not that, it was still kind of humid, but not that hot yet. Because a lot of the PI is jungle. <laughs> At least around Subic, jungle. And, I mean, I'm going to talk about the the QB Point, the air station side, because I spent the most time there. But the dumpsters, full of monkeys. Monkeys are hanging out in the dumpsters, eating the garbage. And these are not your f nice, friendly, fluffy monkeys that you see on TVs and movies. These guys were generally always angry. They didn't trust people because, you know, the regulars knew not to mess with them, but all the... I mean, you got transient. Transient, not the homeless term transient, but transient meaning someone who's not going to be there very long. You know, three days, five days. So all those transient types, you don't have to include me, you know, they always wanted to mess with the monkeys. Throw coconuts at them, throw stuff at them, see, you know, whatever. So anytime people got close to mon the monkeys hanging out in the dumpsters, the monkeys get agitated, throw stuff back at you, um, screech and holler and basically, you know, telling you to leave me alone. Um, okay, so the the PI being a working port, flew the aircraft off. We'd fly during the day, do some maintenance, wash it. We took yes, took the opportunity to wash the aircraft. Um, the the rules, for want of a better term, I mean, there's more technical term for it, but the rules are every 14 days, uh, aircraft need to get washed with soap and water, like you wash your car. And that means if you're on the ship every 14 days it's it's a uh, it's a measure of corrosion control right if you leave salt water unchecked on the sides of the aircraft it gets salt build up and it starts rusting and looks bad so every 14 days now on a ship ships have to make fresh water because you can't wash the aircraft with salt water right the ships have to make fresh water and uh where was i going with this oh yeah ships have to make fresh water so Washing the aircraft on the ship is a little bit more of a dicey proposition than washing the aircraft on the beach. So in the PI, we flew off. First thing we did is wash the aircraft. Spare, you know, the ship wasting water on a helicopter wash. All right, well, let me digress a bit. The, the, the helicopter had second priority for the fresh water. First priority was for cooking and cleaning of the mess, you know, the, the food. Helicopter, second priority. Third priority, any other machinery that required fresh water. Last priority is is washing the humans, okay? If water was an issue, fresh water was low, they'd shut off the showers. Now, on our ship, we never had that problem. On the old aircraft carrier, the USS Constellation, I had heard many times they have that problem, or they have water hours where the showers are only going to work in the morning, midday, evening, sometime, right? They, they can't be working 24-7. The toilets use salt water, so don't worry about the toilets. So anyway, sorry, back to the helo hole. Wash the aircraft. Do, did some flying, checked the place out. Now, now, the PI from the air is fairly pretty country. I mean, I saw jungle. Uh, we flew down by Manila, saw Corregidor Island. Saw all kinds of neat stuff from World War II, still kind of hanging out there, rusting. Um, but, you know, here it's my first time in this foreign land and I'm working. We usually knocked off work around 
we go grab a bite to eat at the at at uh, at a coffee shop, you know, hamburger joint, diner, whatever you want to call it, run by the Navy Exchange, you know, American food, and then we'd hit the streets. Now, you know, the Subic Bay Naval Station was called Olongapo. Now, Olongapo City, or the city of Olongapo, um, if you've ever been to Tijuana, it's kind of like that. Uh, some things are half built. Uh, there's an open sewer that that's that runs between the naval station and the Longapo. There's a, you had to walk across a bridge. Um, the name of it was called Shit River. Okay, <laughs> then you had to cross Shit River to go from naval station Subic Bay into the city of Longapo. Uh, but it was called that because it was an open sewer and, and it was kind of still and it kind of stank. But you know, you cross over quick. Now. In Alongapo, the main street, away from the main gate, and that bridge is called Maxaisai. And on that road are clubs, bars, whatever you want to call it. Some money changing, some, uh, you know, uh, places where you change your dollars for peso or P. We called it P. It was 18P to the dollar when I was there. Um, some clothing shops, you know, whatever to get your, you'll see these guys get these silk jackets made and, or we got patches made, those kind of stores that deal with, or, you know, that's their specialties, taking care of this, the battle group sailors when they roll into town. But 95% of that stuff was clubs. Now, all these clubs had names. I don't remember any, any of the names but one. And a lot of these clubs, the smaller ones, were specific to various communities. For example, the club we would go to was called the Rufadora. And the Rufadora was the club for the helicopter people. All right, if you were a helicopter detachment or helicopter squadron, because the, the carrier had a full squadron of anti-submarine helicopters on it. If you're a helicopter guy, pilot, crewman, maintainer, whatever, you went to the Rufadora. That's where you started your night. That's where you saw your buds. That's where you saw the other fellows from your community. Uh, you would sit there. You'd have a beer if you like beer. Um, in the Philippines, they made they made this wicked punch called Mojo. Came in a beer pitcher. It was orange. Uh, it had just about every clear liquor in it, including and then some beer and a couple sodas, like Seven Up Orange. I don't know. I've tried looking up the recipe online many times and still can't find it. I curse myself for not buying a shirt because there's a t-shirt there for sale. Um, they had the recipe on it. Uh, anyway, that stuff was smooth. Back then when I was 20, I didn't appreciate beer like I do now. So I tend to stay away from San, the San Miguel was the beer. And I drank the Mojo. If you have a picture, a picture of Mojo, whatever. And then if you're up to the hardcore clubbing or whatever, then you would go to the other clubs to do whatever. Now, the Rufadora didn't have live music. Um, there's a club next door, I don't remember what it's called, that had live music. And live music meant four or five dudes sitting at, you know, they had a keyboard, a couple guitar players, a singer, drummer, and these guys would play, you know, American rock and roll songs, current American rock and roll songs. 
And if you close your eyes, I swear to God, they sound just like these people. But when you open your eyes, look down there, and these short little Filipino guys belting it out. And the funny thing is, these little bands would, you know, you recognize these bands. Because I remember going to one, one club, seeing these guys, going, hey, they're pretty cool. And the next night, seeing them at another place, come to find out, they would they would move from club to club, but didn't leave, didn't take the instruments. The instruments would be long to the club and be there waiting for them, and the, the band would just come in, set up at the instruments that are already set up, play their set, and play one set and then go to the next place in some occasions, or play two sets and then go to the next place. It was crazy, but these guys sounded like sounded just like the original artists. <laughs> they did a good job, and you know, when you're far from home, um, it's a good thing to ground you or to you know give you that feeling that well maybe i'm not that far from home or maybe i'm doing okay you know because some folks might get homesick not me but there's others that were having a hard time adjusting and hearing some good old rock and roll from home that they liked from wherever they came from helped them cope a little better um so the pi almost every night was stop at the exchange hamburger joint then out into the streets hit the roofadora or the roof as we called it start the evening and then meander on from there um and there's street vendors selling you you know shish kebab or meat on a stick nobody knew what it was we used to call it monkey meat but certainly wasn't monkey could have been pork or even dog who knows tasted good and when you're drunk you know, everything tastes good and it's just what the doctor ordered to, you know, quiet the munchies that you're dealing with. Now, an interesting thing about the Philippines that there is that their recreation, it's MWR, right? Morale, Welfare, and Recreation, I forget. They're, I think that's what it stands for. Anyway, the, the recreation opportunities on Naval Station, Subic Bay, or at Naval Air Station, Kibbe Point, were wide and varied and we we took advantage um on the naval station side there's this full-on go-kart track the little low gas-powered haul ass four-inch wheel go-karts right you descend upon there uh, i don't know three bucks two bucks it was dirt cheap for 10 15 laps race your buddies we'd race around there you know stop it was actually fun to stop there and drive around before we went out in town um, one time we got the afternoon off and we were we went to the rec center and we were able to rent a ski boat when we rented a ski boat it came with a driver and uh, a flag dude you know because when you water ski get someone drive the boat other guy looking backwards someone fall the guy on the water ski falls down and puts the flag up right so it came the boat came with a driver and a flag dude and they would put you out to this raft that was in this bay that was kind of like around the corner from the marina, put you on this raft and then take one dude at a time for a couple water ski runs, bring him back to the raft and take and trade out. Right. And, um, we started out with sunny, but by the time we got about halfway through, it started raining. Didn't stop. We still went, still finished our water ski time. Um, funny thing. I also remember is that the water is full of these little jellyfish and these aren't, you know, your man of war jellyfish with the, what do you think of? You know, like a main bulbous head with a bunch of tentacles or, 
you know, tendrils dangling down. Think of something the size of a grapefruit cut in half. It's like half a grapefruit that floated in the water. And when you saw it in the water, it looked flimsy and kind of translucent, whitish, grayish, right? But when you picked it up out of the water, it was actually fairly hard. Kind of like the consistency of a half a grapefruit, really. And um, I remember the our ski boat captain, our ski boat driver, pulling a couple out of the water and showing and explaining to us that, you know, they're good eating. You could take a couple home, cut them open this way, cut them open that way, cook them like this, and you have yourself a good high-protein meal. We all turned them down. Thanks, but no thanks. But that was fun. I mean, and, and I think four of us took uh, took that ski boat trip, and again, it might have been five bucks each. And that was for three, two, two hours. I want to say maybe three. I don't know. Of a ski boat with a driver and a flag dude. A lot of fun. Um, still kind of creepy though to be water skiing along, look down, the water's kind of clear, and all you see is jellyfish floating around everywhere. But you know, these jellyfish didn't sting or bite or whatever. They just kind of were there um let's see what else we want to talk about in the philippines we worked oh the philippines and the pi was where the debt you know the attachment officer in charge put up the offer to take people flying now you might not think that's such a big deal because when we're on the ship anybody any of the of the maintenance people could go flying with us anytime they wanted to right Hey, you know, we're not doing anything particular. We got the seat, the extra seats open, grab a helmet, come flying with us. But what this meant by taking people flying meant the stick, pedals, or the two sticks and the pedals and actually do some flying. And um, four of us took them up on it. And uh, that was a fun day. Left uh, left Subic, went over towards Clark Air Force Base. He, he knew of this little uncontrolled, I don't want to say it was a dirt strip because the the, uh, the airstrip was paved, but there's no control tower. It's in the middle of this field. And he'd land there, kick kick three the three people not flying out, <laughs> and, you know, go do some stuff, come back about 10 minutes later, 15 minutes later, take the next person. Uh, I was the last guy to go, so we flew around. Oh, and, and the first thing, the first part of the lesson, which is really cool, is there at that strip, he'd show you how to hover. And he, and he explained that hovering, you know, do this, do that. And, and if you if you have the aircraft trim right, you know, he takes his hand off the stick. The, the helicopter will, will kind of hover itself, you know, because the, the aircraft had some built-in, uh, built-in kind of like autopilot stuff, but I wouldn't call it autopilot. For example, if you took your feet off the pedals, the helicopter would work to keep the nose pointed to wherever it was the last time you had your feet on the pedals via gyroscopes and stabilization equipment, whatever other things we had would keep the nose pointed. Um, and you could, there's a friction lock on the collective, which is the stick that helps you go up and down. That if you set that, you know, the helicopter would stay at a certain height and the nose pointed in the right direction. And then you just kind of had to work the stick between your legs to keep it from drifting from side to side or forward and back. It was pretty cool. So he, he taught us that. And then he'd take us on a river run where you'd, flying through down you know above a river winding back and forth was kind of fun and then we'd fly back to fly back to qb point taxi whatever i don't know it was kind of a high point sorry whistle's starting to get a little dry 
Um, what else? Uh, you know, I think I think we're gonna kind of break it off right here. I think I think I've talked enough about what's going on in the Philippines. Talked about what's going on in Hawaii. A little bit of the transit. Um, I think the next show we'll talk about where we went after the Philippines. And some other things I highlighted. We might get three shows out of this, actually, which is good. Um, so, yeah, we'll talk about the rest of the actual Western, or the rest of the, goodness, my tensions must be getting <laughs> The rest of the West Pack. Uh, we visited Singapore. We visited Diego Garcia, big deal. We visited um, Western Australia. And then back to the Philippines and back to Hawaii, then back home. And then we had some time in the Gulf of Oman and some other places we visited. So we'll, I'll give some more details on that. Some of the things we did. I'll have the cruise book here so I can give you some dates and times and uh, clear up some of those other things. And maybe I'll scan, actually scan some photos and put them out there for you guys to look at. Um, and then we'll talk, well, I don't know. I, I, Hitting all those places, and I talk, and if I talk about some of the stories of what some of the crazy things we did, you know, like the drunk story in Hawaii, uh, that might stretch over another couple, couple episodes. Now, I want to give you a preview of what I'm working on. I have gotten in contact with a gentleman, a young youngster, who is currently going through the training pipeline to be a pilot. He has finished primary uh, he's he's been selected he's already had a selection so he knows what community he's going into jets uh, props p3s helicopters whatever I won't tell you what she selected we'll, we'll save that for his recording but he is graciously um, agreed to allow me to interview him or to be part of the show and to talk about his experiences in in officers candidate school, his experiences in in primary flight training, uh, and some of the other things that are part of his pilot training pipeline, um, and that'll give you a perspective of a pilot's viewpoint versus my guy in back air crewman viewpoint, and it's also give you viewpoint of someone who's doing it now, um, not through the lens of twenty plus years ago. Um, and it might it might make for a nice contrast to what we've already talked about in the past few few episodes. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, we might actually start recording these interviews here in the next couple weeks, but I'm going to finish the deployment series uh, before we start rolling this stuff out there. So we might actually have a a, a little bit of breathing room built up, so that if something comes up, I'll actually. I have shows in the can and I can put them out there and we won't deal with the bit of Naval Air podcast pod fade that we just had to do. Um, so yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. I think it'll be fun. I think you'll, you all out there will enjoy hearing somebody else's viewpoint on Naval aviation besides my own. I, I, I know I'm looking forward to it. Um, let's see what else. Um, oh, okay. Email Naval at gmail.com. But also, I've turned on the email system or email boxes for NavalAir.net. NavalAir.net, if you don't know already, is the 
web host or the web address for these podcasts are generated out of. There's a website there. So if you want to use not Gmail to send me email, you can send it to mike at navalair.net. Uh, I'll get it, respond, whatever. Um, or if you still want to use the old school, it's navalaircrew at gmail.com. Send me some emails. I've gotten a few. I've responded. I try to respond as quick as I can. The last couple of emails I got, they were like nine days because you know, I got out of the habit of checking the, the Naval Air Crew at Gmail account because I wasn't doing the work. So I apologize for that. If you're one of those people that had to wait 10 days for a response, sorry. <laughs> um, but if you send it to uh, Mike at Naval, Air, at Naval Air.net, you might get a quick response. Who knows? Um, what else? What else? All right, so I told you about the new guy. Told you email address. I've given you an up, uh, a preview of coming attractions. So yeah, I think I think we've covered it all for tonight. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to sign off right now, and I'm going to hope for you to stay safe. And God bless. Mm-hmm.